I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honour to be here and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favourite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Hey Doug! Doug! Oh, that's right, Doug's dead. Pop Culture Pasta Alright, Cody, we're, uh, we're here. We're, 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 we're doing things. And I'm in a good mood because Ted Lasso just announced when season three is going to start. Uh, the Mandalorian season three is going to start soon. The Mandalorian starts in a couple weeks. I, I want to know right off the bat, are people digging the, the reviews of the episodes of Last of Us? Because really, this is just us trying out something getting ready for some of these big shows that are about to come out. So Mandalorian could be a show that we review episode by episode on the pod. Just take a little segment each week. And also Ted Lasso. Theodore Lasso. Oh man. I love Ted Lasso. I love that so much. And the little spot they did to announce it where they're all writing their own believe poster. It's got me in the feels. Oh yeah. I'm so here for it. So here for it. So yeah. uh, Tell us what you think about that. Do you, do you like the little reviews? Do we, do you like the, the idea of being able to, you know, watch a show together kind of with the pod and have us uh, review each episode and tell us what you think? Or should this segment just eat fish? I don't know. I kind of like doing this. This is fun. Something we can share. My only, my only concern is that some people don't um, like if the show is not high priority for them. They don't want to. So maybe if we started putting in the description, if we keep doing this, I can put the time where we start talking about the next thing. You know, you know how like, so that way they'd know the, Hey, skip the first part of the pod until this time. Jump to section two. Yeah. Maybe that's how we do it. Um, I do know some people um, that were like, especially with this series, last of us that they wanted several episodes out so then they could binge it Mm -hmm. and um, get a feel if they actually like it or not. Because sometimes you get series where the first episode or two is super slow and it takes a while to develop. And if you have to wait a whole week, you might be like, I'm not coming back to this. But if you have the three or four episodes already there, you might be like, okay, I'm giving it an honest effort here and I'll binge it. And then what happens happens. It's so much fun. Okay. So like when the streaming services first started, it's hard to review something like stranger things because first of all, you got to find the time to binge it. Oh yeah. And then you need to wait a certain amount of time. Like, and I don't know that time's different for everyone. Like, what do you think is the acceptable amount of time to wait when everyone's had a chance to watch it? 48 hours. No, (laughs) no, I need way more than 48 hours to binge a season of stranger things. Cause I just ain't got that kind of time, but um, you know, is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? Who knows? I don't know. Two months later. Um, but yeah, so I do like that they've gone back to a lot of these networks or streaming services have gone back to this parsing the show out week to week, which is, that's kind of cool so that we can, we can do this sort of thing. We can talk about individual episodes. Yeah. And I respect the, the shows that do that, but also like the first week of the new season or 
of it being a new series, they might put out a couple episodes. Mm, so yeah. then you you know what you're getting into. Yeah. We had been doing two episodes at a time, but we decided to do episode five. Go ahead and do that. Review that here because next week's our big Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania episode, which that's all we're going to talk about. It's Kangmania. It's Kang Kang Watch. Oh, yeah. It's happening. I have told everyone, and I will say it again for the pod, I'm not here to watch Paul Rudd. I love Paul Rudd. I'm here to watch Jonathan Majors be Kang and Kang just to own everything Marvel here forth. This is the year of Jonathan Majors. We're in a major's renaissance. In some ways, I've been waiting for this movie ever since the end of Loki. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm here for it. And that's coming uh, next week on next week's pod. So we figured let's go ahead and talk about episode five of Last of Us because there was a lot to talk about. And in a lot of ways, it answered a lot of questions about some of the narrative structure um, that some of the questions about the narrative structure that came out of episode three. So if you remember episode three was the kind of a, you know, the flashback story with, uh, Bob, Bill, Bill, Bill and Frank, right? Yes. Bill and Frank. Yeah. Nick Offerman's character. And, um, while, while I said, Hey man, that was a good story. And it told, well, you went deep with some characters, I felt like it opened up. It was fair to criticize the episode with the idea of like, Hey, if this is just a standalone story and then the narrative structure goes on with Joel and Ellie and they never do this with any other characters again, it's going to be super weird. Oh yeah. And I compared it to the stranger things episode where we flash back in time to when 11, you know, joined a gang of, metas (laughs) like it was it was just super it's super weird however in episode five we get another kind of flashback episode to kind of fill in the blanks with the kansas city rebellion basically yeah although it's not like a 20 year story arc no it definitely does not go as in-depth as episode three but i saw enough 10 day uh, back in the past, but they do a good job of explaining what was happening up before that point and um, through. It can't be as intimate as Bob and Frank's story, obviously, because you're dealing with more characters in this one. A lot more. So I understand why it can't be as in-depth. Um, but I'm satisfied with the idea now that this is going to be, I think, a continuing narrative structure of the way they're telling this story. So you have like an episode where it's Joel and Ellie and the regular story moves forward and then interspersed will be these people that are around them that they run into and we get we get backstory and character development of how they found themselves in their current situations. And I got to say, Cody, this was the episode that solidified that I like this show. Um, so it took me a while to actually get to this episode mm-hmm. just because life was busy and the Chiefs were winning a Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> and, yes! uh, so like the day before I watched it, Pat McAfee, 
who has his own podcast. And if you're into sports and those sorts of things, you can definitely watch it and or listen to it. Um, but he tweeted out uh, a tweet that it had some explicatives in it, but it was about The Last of Us and like basically it blew his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this episode and he said bravo. And so I'm like, I really got to watch this. Not only because we're reviewing it on the podcast, but evidently this episode it hits. Yeah. So let's let's just get into it. Basically, uh, what happened? What happens in this episode is we. So at the end of episode four, Joel and Ellie and they're hot. They're as they're hiding in Kansas City, downtown Kansas City, somewhere from this you know crazed re- rebel leader. Yes. Um, they get um kind of accosted upon by Henry, the guy that the crazed rebel leader is looking for and his little brother, right? Brother. Or was it a, was it a nephew? I think it was his brother. I don't know. I don't remember. It's not important. (laughs) It's his younger brother, Sam, who is deaf. Um, And we start the episode right where episode four ended with that and we start immediately getting the background in the flashbacks for how Henry and Sam ended there. Now I will say we don't get all the vignettes that we got with Bill and Frank. No, we don't, but they do a lot more. So like you said, they only go back 10 days or so, Mm -hmm. but we do get a lot of exposition through the conversations the characters are having. So we find out more about Melanie Linsky's rebel leader. We find out her relationship, why she's so crazed, you know, that, that, that some people sided with Fedra because it was the only way they could keep loved ones alive. Like Henry. Yes. Who needed, you know, important medicines for leukemia uh, for, for Sam. And, um, we basically over the course of the episode, Henry and Sam, uh, make this sort of uneasy alliance with Joel. Not so uneasy with Ellie. Ellie's all for it. Yeah, Ellie's <laughs> like, hey, road trip buddies. The the continuing um, building of the relationship between Joel and Ellie is being done very well. And watching Ellie immediately take to these new people in their lives while Joel, who understands and has seen the worst of humanity, um, is obviously still very suspicious. It takes him a little bit longer. Watching that contrast is great. Watching Ellie with uh, Sam over the course of the episode, the way she she immediately takes to the young boy who is deaf is so good and so powerful later on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because um, basically the whole episode is about their escape from Kansas City. Now, were you as impressed with the geography like that, the, that the, the movie people or the TV show did their homework on this? So this is probably the, the best that I have seen just because I actually know what the terrain yes. should look like. So the way he describes where they're at 
downtown Kansas City and how it's cased on all sides by interstates and like it the they you could tell someone who knew what they were talking about fleshed out this story because as he's talking about the route of escape he's like we got to get across I-35 once we get across there we're out and and then like before he said it's like then you'll have to cross the river and he said and then right after he's like then we have to cross the river and I'm like man these dudes really like the writers of this show really did their homework on downtown Kansas city and what that would look like. And uh, so I was impressed with that. That's just kind of an aside, but um, the episode is intense there. They escape in this, maybe one of the most intense scenes of the whole show. Um, so like, I really appreciated when they go into the tunnels mm-hmm. and um, they actually have a moment of, kind of rest and relaxation in like this bunker that's now abandoned. And, um, Joel and Henry share stories back and forth. And you find out like Henry made sacrifices. So that way his, uh, brother, um, could stay alive. Mm -hmm. Um, that he had leukemia. The, the medicines were scarce because, ah, civilization collapsed. Um, and so, like, you get, again, throughout the the show, you get more backstory woven into it uh, quite well. And you get to see Ellie and Sam uh, establish a relationship. And then when they exit out, um, it looks like Ollie, Ollie, Oxenfree, they're, they're going to make it to the bridge and life's great. Yeah. But then firing happens. Yeah. It turns out the rebel leader has posted a crazy old man. <laughs> who's a bad shot. On a lookout tower. Yeah. Who's not an especially good shot, but you almost, it, you find out later that he's basically just there to kind of delay them as yes. long as possible. And he does until another powerful scene where Pedro Pascal's character of Joel sneaks into the house behind him and he's telling him don't. Yeah. Don't do it. Cause this old man, he's like, like, listen, you can't turn your weapon and fire on me before I shoot you. Don't and make he, and me he's do literally it. telling him don't don't. <laughs> and you hear, of course he does. And it's like another one of these, I, I think this show is doing a great job of giving us these little scenes, these little vignettes of the lost, the lost humanity. And then the desperation of humanity. Yes. Like, Oh man, where yeah, you just know it's what's about to happen. And like intrinsically, it's not a shock what happens, but it's no less impactful. And that actually comes up again later in the story because they escape. They somehow get out of it. That bonkers that what happens when the rebels find them, then the creatures come out of the ground. Yeah. Cause you learn that Kansas city, evidently the government actually did one good thing. And that was, they drove all the creatures out and down. Yeah. And, but they didn't kill them. They're there. They're just underground. And rumor was that they had killed all of them that were in the tunnels, mm-hmm. but Evidently, there were areas that they were residing in. Oh, my goodness. It was like playing a zombie video game. Oh, man. It was intense. The big one? Yes. Apparently, those are called bloaters. Game people would know that. Mm -hmm. That was intense. I was oh, my gosh. What's that? (laughs) It's a big one. Um, And he was strong. So, Leah, when uh, that one appeared, was like, 
That's if Chris Jones had been taken over by this <laughs> virus or fungus. Oh man! It's, so somehow, some way, they get out of that, and you just have to watch it. You just have to know. I can't. Oh yeah. I can't possibly explain the action, the intensity of that sequence, where you know many of the Kansas City Rebels. I don't know if any of them get out of that. Yeah, I don't know if they get out of it. Um, literally, one dude gets his head ripped off epically. Um, <laughs> and like Pedro Pascal, he's like, I'm a marksman, and I'm just going to start taking them out. Yeah. And I'm like, this is me uh, in Left for Dead. I'm really great at this. Yeah. Um, Intense and- action, followed by the escape, followed by the exhale. They end up in a motel where they're going to get ready to cross the river and or is it after they've crossed the river i'm not sure they don't really say but they've they've escaped and the ellie and the and the boy retire to a broom because joel says hey we need to get some sleep and they stay up because they were reading a comic book together and you're just like savage starlight they've agreed to go with them so you're like oh joel and ellie aren't gonna be alone anymore they're gonna have these two and ellie's gonna have this like purpose to take care of this boy and then we find out the boy has been bit and Uh, and i'm gonna tell you cody my stomach dropped when that happened i was like no you didn't no you didn't (laughs) creators um i'm like I don't know how you can slow this down because like they're not close to Wyoming. So she can't do anything. No, no. And, and it's just heartbreaking. She like cuts her hand and puts her hand on his bite. And at that point I said, that's not how medicine works. Yeah. You (laughs) under, I think as a viewer, like I understood the same thing was like, this isn't going to work. Is it? And she wakes up the next morning. The boy isn't facing her. Of course, she doesn't respond to her calling him because he's deaf. And when she goes to check on him, he's he, rabid. He snaps at her and yeah, goes after her. And you're just like, I didn't. I, I mean, one of the most horrifying sequences so far in the show. As he's attacking her, they bust out of the room, and the the older brother is the one with a gun who makes the decision and he shoots the boy and almost out of instinct. And I'm telling you, I don't know who plays um, Henry. I don't know the actor's name, but you could tell from the look on his face, what was about to happen. He still got the gun. He's, he's trying to process what he's done. He's saying, what did I do? What did I do? And you absolutely know what's about to happen. And from his acting, from his face acting alone, Oh yeah, I'm like, oh no, this isn't going. No, yeah, don't do which it. Which is masterful. Yeah, I, I was literally talking to my TV screen. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he does what exactly what Pedro, what Joel was afraid he was about to do, what the girl didn't realize he was about to do. Who was horrified when it happens? He turns the gun on himself and he shoots himself. And now Joel and Ellie's companions are both gone, and it's just heart wrenching. Yes, Lamar Johnson is uh, the actor that plays Henry. He was wonderful. Oh, yeah. He was absolutely wonderful. It's a great episode. It was a great episode, but also I hated it. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. Like, I was rooting for them to go clear the Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. Then, oh, this is over. 
and yeah. I'm not ready for it. So let me tell you why this episode convinces me that this is a show I'm into and I love. Um, the narrative structure thing has been answered now. So clearly, um, with doing a TV show in the genre that they're in, the zombie genre, which is kind of played out by now, I I knew for this show to be good, they were going to have to subvert expectations. And by doing these like flashbacks, that is a great subversion of expectations. The 20 year jump was also a subversion of expectations. Yeah. They're doing a good job of just doing different things to try and keep the viewer on their toes. And I dig that. And I still don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm into Joel and Ellie's story, which is like the main story, but I'm going to, I'm going to compare it to another TV show that I loved. And that is the show of lost because lost had a similar narrative structure and the structure was, Hey, here's this main story. This is what the show's about. It's a bunch of people who, you know, their plane crashes on a mysterious Island. The Island's weird. It's got all these weird things going on. And you think that's what the show's about. It's why people hated the finale because they didn't get all their questions about the Island answered. Yeah. But that was never what the show was about. The show was about the characters, the people that the, they were flashbacks every episode that were filling you in on who these characters were. And it was always about them. This show is the same way. You think this is a show about Joel and Ellie, but actually it is a show about Joel and Ellie's bonding but mostly this is a show about humanity. It is, which um, there's a reason that the people that have played the game really love the game and that they decided this game's worth converting into a television series that we think we can do justice to it and maybe even surpass it. I think they're doing a great job so far. What do you, what is this? Does this episode sell? Sold, did this episode sell you? Are I you was in? already sold. You were already sold. Okay, I was sold as soon as they said Pedro. <laughs> so, <laughs> granted, again, Pedro Pascal and forgive me, I keep forgetting the the girl's name. Ellie's yeah. actress. Uh, yeah, the girl who you know uh, plays Ellie. Uh, they're wonderful. They're so wonderful, and this episode was so wonderfully wonderfully heartbreaking. I know that sounds weird to say, but like they're, they're, they're making Joel and Ellie more magnetic characters by putting them through the absolute ringer together. Yeah. And, and even Pedro's character was coming around to the idea of having companions. He was, and I was ready for him to not be alone in the world <sighs> to have someone to talk to, but no, I'll tell you, they're subverting expectations in another way. If it, if what I what it looked like in the coming attractions were true, that the next episode they're going to be in Wyoming and the brother was in it. Ayo. I figured that would take the whole season to get there. We shall see. But this story is moving a lot faster than I expected it to, and it's another subversion of expectations. And so, um, this series again adapted from a video game. Um, kind of helped launch our main topic tonight. Also with a new M night movie that mm. came out, yeah. uh, which was based on a book knock at the cabin, um, which um, I think the book's called knock at the end of the world or something like that. Um, but 
Um, we won't review that because you haven't watched it. Yeah, I haven't watched it, it yet. But it, we we go in that direction of uh, yeah. We're going to uh, see if there are adaptations that are better than the source material. Yeah, yeah. So far, and I, I, I would, know nothing about the game Last of Us, but I don't know how this couldn't be better than the game. I don't know how it couldn't be better. It's got to be more full of a story because the game can only come from a first person perspective because that's who you're playing. Exactly. So yeah, loved episode five. It, it may be the episode that we, I look back and say, that's the one that sold there. Usually in the first season of every show I love, there was, there's a certain episode that sells me on it. You know, Smallville was the one with the, the funeral at the end of it with the song that I explained yeah. last week. There's always this episode where I was like, that was the one that sold me. This might be episode five of last of us may have been the one that sold me. Um, so yeah, uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come right back to talk about movies and TV shows that were better than the source material they were based on. Dun, dun, dun. We'll be right back. We're back uh, here on the pod, Pop Culture Pastors. We're going to talk about our main subject. Leah has joined us. Cody's better half. Much better half. Sometimes. <laughs> I think, I feel like most people who listen to this, you've been on the pod a couple times. I have. Uh, but I think most people who listen already know you anyways, mm-hmm. because, well, we talk about you a lot, but in a good way, in the sense it, that you're Cody's <laughs> better half. And that she knows all. Oh. Yes. Yeah, we, I was excited when I heard you were going to come in and help us out on this one. Cause this is the kind of like in-depth nerdiness uh-huh. uh, that we need help on. Well, it, I especially read more than anything. You what? I, I love to read. Yes. And that's exactly, that's what we're talking about. Cause I, we know Cody does not read unless it's comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, even then it's touch <laughs> and go. So, <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're here to talk about, uh, movies or television. I don't know if we have a lot of TV to talk about, but anything that came out entertainment wise, that is better than the source material, better than the books that it came from. I think sometimes some of these things come from short stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if we want to call that a book, but it's just better than the source material. Yeah. And then as a little bonus at the end, I do want to see if we can come up with a really quick Mount Rushmore of stuff that was the worst. Like it doesn't even come close to the source material. So and we'll get to that at the end. I know that Leah has some and I have some for that as well. I think we've all been disappointed in that way. Um, but that's that's the easy stuff that we can just you know rapid fire at the end. Uh, but mostly we want to talk about what came out in TV or movie form that was better was better than the source material and so we should just go do you who, who would like to go first oh i can go first awesome i'm going to go way out in left field and people are going to be like what um <laughs> we're like that mostly all the time with you anyways so <laughs> um a piece of classic literature if you will 
Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so this is a John Steinbeck oh. piece um, published in 1937. This better not be Grapes of Wrath Slander. Um, of Mice and Men. Oh, well, which one? You didn't like it? I, not the one with John Malkovich. I was going to say Gary Sinise and John Malkovich brought those characters and gave them depth that I feel the story did not like it. John Malkovich really carries his scenes. Yeah, they were, they were so good in that. And it almost is line for line, the book. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still, the, that's bold. I mean, that's oh, a yeah. classic. I, I, I told you coming out of left field and I'm coming in hot. <laughs> I mean, that, to go right off the bat to be like, yeah. this is better than the book of mice and men. That's and every literature teacher, every literature. Te- it's, it was as if all literature teachers cried out as one. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean the phenomenal acting skills of a one Gary Sinise. I love that you're highlighting Gary over John Malkovich. <laughs> um, you don't get that much Gary. Like it's very limited the the things that we get Gary in, and so cherish all the Gary. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one, man. It's been a while since I've seen that. I know we watched that in high school. Um, it brings you to tears when yeah. Gary Sinise has to kill John Malkovich. Yeah, so that's a spoiler, kids. Just like old Yeller, exactly. Except John wasn't a dog. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> he Wait, was Lenny. <laughs> I, I think I should go next because I have a perfect segue. Because I have another Gary Sinise movie. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah. This one's gonna like for anyone that's read this book. You're going to understand why the movie was far, far better than the book. And the movie is Forrest Gump. I have heard this from many people that the book is like. The book is very weird. A fever dream. Yeah, yes. it's very weird. I actually read both the the original book and then the sequel. Was it Son of Gump? I can't even remember now, but there's actually a sequel to Forrest Ew. Gump. Um, and it, yeah, it's fever dreams a good way to describe it. It's very kind of goofy and silly, almost like cartoonish. And um, I think we're going to talk about this a lot on, on this pod, but man, some of the best of these are the ones where they take something that as a book, it works as a book. It's something that can like, you can read and enjoy, but like Forrest Gump is a book. I don't know if I enjoyed it or just found it a curiosity, but then as a, as, as some sort of film entertainment, you can you can really do it in a way that's uh, very very good. Like it, it, in a sense, sort of like The Last of Us, where you're completely changing it into something else. Yeah. So I know The Last of Us wasn't a book; it's a video game. But like the video game is a video game, so you have to turn it into some sort of other style of entertainment, and that will naturally mean you change the story or you expand it in certain ways. And Forrest Gump was one of those things where. Um, I don't even know that Forrest is a sympathetic figure in the book. Like he is in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And well, and because Tom Hanks has a lot to do with that because he's Tom freaking Hanks and his best buddy, Lieutenant Dan is Gary Sinise. And absolutely (laughs) Gary Sinise pulls it all together. I did not know that we were going to go Gary Sinise right off the bat here. 
got he's, some fans in the house. He's here. getting all the love. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hoping Leah says the stand so, starring Gary Sinise for hers. Oh, no. See, no, they didn't, they didn't do the stand uh, justice. That might end up on the Mount Rushmore of the worst yeah, adaptions. Absolutely. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not here for this Gary Sinise slander. <laughs> Gary Sinise as Stu. In the TV, made-for-TV version of The Stand, the old one was probably the only good thing about it. Absolutely, 100% agree. Um, and that's Rob Lowe slander, to be honest, and and uh, Dauber from Coach. Uh, I was going to say, what about the guy from Coach? <laughs> M-O-O-N. <laughs> and Max Headroom, who played uh, uh, Trash Man. Anyways, <laughs> like that is, we just went way kind of out in left field. Anyone who's not over a certain age just we're, we got lost. Like, what are you talking about? Um, it's an adaption of the stand was made for TV mm-hmm. into a mini series. Yeah. Go check out that one. Don't watch the new one. Do not. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so bad. It's terrible. Okay. <sighs> Leah, you're, I'm, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on this. What's, what's the first one you want to bring up? I'm going to go with black phone first or the black phone. Um, okay. Short story by Joe Hill. Mm-hmm also known as Joseph King, Stephen King's son. Oh. People knew that or not. Um, I did not. You didn't know that? No. Oh, wow. So it is a short story from one of his collection of short stories. Mm. Way better than the book because it's like literally only like 15 pages. It's not very long. Mm. And like literally none of the characters in that story exist in the short story. There's literally like two characters and that's it. And what they did with that movie was really good. It, I really liked what they did with it. They took it to a whole new level with his approval. He was very hands-on in that movie. Mm-hmm. And they they just did a really good job with it. They It was much better than the... The short story was good. It was good. Um, but I, I think people really should read it. Because uh, it, it's, it's the same, but it's not. Yeah. And that's they did the, a good job. That one came out recently with Ethan mm-hmm. Hawke. Ethan Hawke, right? yes. Yeah. Black phone. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy. Yeah, the grabber. Do, do we think short stories lend themselves into turning into better TV shows, movies because they can expand on it and and flesh it out into a fuller story? Sometimes, because it seems like it seems like the, some of the ones that might end up on the Mount Rushmore of the worst adaptions mm-hmm. are probably ones that were these long, sprawling epics that they just mishandled. Um, so Game of Thrones, like a lot of people hate Game of Thrones. Kick and, rocks. And mostly mostly because it was really good for five seasons or whatever, and then the last season was just trash. So I had a, a lit professor in college that said Stephen King's short stories make way better movies. Yeah, 100%. okay. So I've got... A couple that I'm going to bring up later, but mm-hmm. but I, I, there's something about I think the size that like Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson's movies are better than they have any right to be. Frankly, um, I'm not. I wasn't going to bring it up on this because I don't think it was above the source material. Oh, obviously, no. because the Lord of the Rings is the Lord of the Rings, but they're good. I mean, the movies yeah. are great. Because I was worried they weren't going to be good. <laughs> oh yeah. So. Yeah, short stories work well in this kind of thing because, like, Forrest Gump's not a short story. It's not in a collection of short stories, but it's not a long novel either. Right. 
Well, I mean, so, essentially, you you have an idea with an open canvas. I mean, you could go anywhere with it if you uh, really think about it. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, yeah. They did a great job. They that, really did. That will not be the last short story that comes up here. Oh no. In this in this uh, pod, Cody, what's your next? Okay, one? so this is probably where I'm going to uh, like end like my contributions besides <laughs> just chirping in. <laughs> Um, just because the, the books I have read and they have made movies about, I, I don't feel the, the movie topped the, the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm coming in hard and fast on this one and I might get canceled, uh, from Christians on this one. Uh Oh, please, please don't say 50 shades of gray. The shack. Oh, yeah. Because oh. <laughs> uh, oh. that okay. one. Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's, let's just let's put it, it out there. Yeah. Okay. Tell me your thoughts, Cody, because I have thoughts. So I enjoyed the book. Um, I actually listened to it on uh, audiobook on my way back and forth to seminary. Mm-hmm. And I, I did read it in hard copy form. But. Um, the movie was good and they brought those characters to life. And, um, I believe Octavia Spencer, was she in it? Oh yeah. 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 She was, she was God, the father. <laughs> yes, she was. And I was going to say Octavia did a great job. There's a reason that when you hear Octavia's name, you're like, okay, so there's going to be at least one good performance in this. And, um, I mean, I honestly thought that it was a great movie. And I know that for some Christians that they feel that there's universalist themes through it. And I'm like, "Uh, I think you're adding a little to it. Um, I'm not saying that it's a perfect theological book um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that you do need to realize that God appears and God's messengers appear in very random ways in the Bible even. Yeah. And so you got to have your imagination open and to view God through these three different uh, lenses or characters in this story. Um, Saying that a depiction of God or Jesus is somehow universalist, because they're offering some sort of grace or love to someone who's not professed is a weird flex considering what Jesus says to the woman at the well. Yeah. Like, Oh, you could have living water. You know, if you asked, like, Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to make her convert first. You're not going to tell her to clean up our life or, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that we make, you know, that people make that flex. I I don't understand it. That's one of those churchy things. And I don't, I don't really get. I, I think they also did a good job of bringing uh, that tension with his father yeah. Um, yeah. To, to the silver screen, if you will. So, so what makes it better than the book, in um, your opinion? There, there's some subtle changes to the story. It's not like Of Mice and Men where I could literally have the book out and go line by line. Um, I just thought that the changes they made – made for a better story mm-hmm. but it's been eight years since i've read the book and yeah however long ago the movie came out um 
it's been that long since I've watched it, although I've been tempted to go back and watch it. I just remember it made me tear up. Yeah, it was kind of sad. I don't know if I'd want to rewatch it just because I tend to, I don't know how you guys are, but sad movies, I don't, I don't tend to like to repeat them. Um, it depends on what the topic matter is. Yeah. Yes. There, there's exceptions. Mm-hmm. Field of Dreams. I cry at the end of that one every time, mm-hmm. and I will, if I pick it up near the end, I will keep watching. It doesn't matter where. I, if I'm flipping channels, I'll stop on that one. But, you know, the other movies, like, I've only seen Saving Private Ryan once. Once. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really don't feel the need to watch it again, because sometimes some of those movies are just too hard. It's mm-hmm. too painful. Yeah. And I will also say that The Shack has a phenomenal soundtrack featuring Cody's favorite band, Need to Breathe. There you go. There you go. So, uh, well, here's the thing. I never read The Shack, but I agree. I kind of enjoyed The Shack. And I don't really, I didn't really understand the controversy. Of course, this comes out at a time when I'm still really, really new to the church. Um, I'm, I'm freshly saved, as you might say. And so I don't really, I didn't really get it. I didn't really get the backlash. Because to me, it's just like, well, you understand this is a fictional story. Oh, yeah. So, like, when I hear people complaining, like, well, you can't depict Jesus like that. It sounds very, like, you know, Islam-esque. Like, you can't, there's no depictions of Muhammad. They're not supposed to be. It's very, Mm. so, like, it sounds super fundy, super fundamental to me. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, well, that's weird. Um, I don't know. So, I didn't get the whole thing like that, but I actually did enjoy the movie other than, man, it's hard. It deals with a dad who's, you know, lost a child. Um, and that's, man, that's, that's rough stuff. Although, um, you're right. I think the, the acting in the movie is very good. Sam Worthington, whose face may actually be made out of wood. Yes. I think actually does a really good job in this movie. He doesn't emote well, usually, (laughs) but he, in this movie, he was great. He made me cry. Um, and I mean, for the people that didn't even give it a chance they just read like some um hit piece before even watching it i would say if you watched left behind and you weren't offended by that what it did to the whole book of revelation and the depiction of the end of times yeah then we may need to have a theological (laughs) conversation but so i actually read left behind before i get saved Yes. yes. So I was shocked that Revelation, that's not what, it doesn't say that. (laughs) Shockingly. I just thought that, oh, this is coming straight from the Bible, right? Oh, this is interesting stuff. And then I was very disappointed to find out, nope, no, this is very fictionalized. And I mean, both the authors are, were like at professors at a seminary. So like. Which again, if you're, if you're saying, hey, this is fiction. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I was entertained by it. And I'm not offended by Left Behind, but I'm saying like if you're taking this (laughs) book as gospel truth and that you're offended if um, it is viewed that way, then... I'm I'm offended by the Kirk Cameron versions of Left Behind for totally different reasons. (laughs) Because they were really bad. (laughs) Really, really, Um, really bad. The best part about those is that Trevette from Walker, Texas Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> so 
It's always going to be a good pod when Cody talks about Trevette from Walker, Texas Ranger. Rest in peace. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Um, so uh, let's let me let me ask you a question, Leah, because you are a big Stephen King fan. Huge. I'm just going to talk about Stephen King short stories. Um, first of all, are any of them on your list? Do you have any Stephen King short stories? I actually have one, yes. Okay, which, which one is it? Just out of curiosity. I have The Body, which is Stand By Me. Oh, man, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did he write that as Stephen King, or was that one of the Richard, is it Richard Bach? No, I think it was Stephen he King. He wrote it as himself? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so like I have one called The Running Man uh-huh. that he wrote under his pen name, and mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it was Richard Bach or, I can't remember. Um, but like I actually read, it was from the talisman, I think Mm -hmm. that collection of short stories. And when I read that, I was like, oh, the movie's much better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The movie is much, much better. Richard Bachman. Richard Bachman. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if it was because they turned, you know, Stephen King has such a, well, there's such a dourness mm-hmm. to his stuff. A really like he really can can bring the gloom, mm-hmm. and especially to like that future. Like he doesn't do it very often, mm-hmm. but when he does do the futuristic stuff, like the Long Walk is another one I think of. Love that one. Yeah, that one's mm-hmm. amazing, and I always thought that would have made the better movie over the Running mm-hmm. Man. Um, but then the you know they did the Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. It's the '80s, and it kind of has that bombastic. Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of 80s action hero while still having a bit of the, you know, uh, futuristic right. post, you know, post-apocalyptic kind of feel to it. It was, it was, I loved The Running Man. Mm-hmm. I really also loved it because I was a huge wrestling guy and Jesse Ventura was in it. That's like the body. Yeah. Before Predator comes out, Jesse, the body Ventura is in this movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Running Man. And um, I just like it. And and Stephen King has these short stories. You mentioned the body mm-hmm. that that became Stand by Me. Um, why do you, why do you say that's better than the sh- the short story? And why is it um, you know why is it Corey Feldman? <laughs> <laughs> I think I like with the direction they kind of went with the movie because the book was more focused on the boys finding the body. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Where the movie was more a coming of age Mm -hmm. and it was more about like how friendships like that can have a big impact on your life and how events like that can change your perspective on things. And I, I just like where they went with the movie. Um, such a good movie. It was such a good movie. I haven't watched it in a long time. Now I'm like totally inspired to go watch it. Yeah, it makes. I did. I was thinking the same thing in River Phoenix. Right? He's mm, in yes. it. It's been so long since I've seen it, and I. It was just an extraordinary cast yeah. of young actors, and it was just. It's just a very good movie. They did a. They did a great job. Um, Side note: Every time I watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The, the opening vignette with River Phoenix's Thanks. young Indiana Jones makes me super sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because of just how talented he was and yeah. how amazing. We should we should be sitting here talking about of all the amazing things he's done. Mm-hmm. And we lost him to drugs. But yeah. um, anyways, go on. <laughs> well, it, no, you're fine. You're fine. But that's the one thing I like about Stephen King is he can jump around. You know, it can be sci-fi, it can be horror, or it can be nothing. It can be like this where he didn't need a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And that was what I liked about the body or stand by me is he didn't need sci-fi. He didn't need 
horror really. It's it's really not that. Yeah, yeah. He's well. I think it's underrated in Stephen King that he just does. Um, I mean, everything is almost through the lens of, hey, I've got this creepy story to tell, mm-hmm. or this uh, thriller kind of story, or a horror story. Yeah. But underneath all that, he's actually really good at rela- human relationships. He and, is, and kind of painting this picture of of real humanity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I I didn't think of that one. One of the ones I did think of, and I'm I'm curious. Have you read The Shining? Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's okay. been a very long time. Okay. Like I was probably either late high school or early college. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the old movie with Jack Nicholson? Because this is apparently a really divisive. This is. Yeah. And if, if you want me to be truly honest with you, I actually preferred the movie. Okay. Me too. But I saw the movie first and I think uh-huh. that has a lot to do with it. The book is, I mean, it's really different. He Kubrick goes a completely different direction. So much so that I think uh, Stephen King, if I'm getting this right, it is not happy. Hates his guts. And they actually do a made for TV version with the dude from wings later <laughs> yeah. on that Stephen King is all on board with. And I'm like, well, that sucked. Well, <laughs> that <was not> <laughs> uh, I've seen the hotel in person. Have you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a youth group mission trip. Wow. I, that ended up going to Estes park where the Stanley hotel is. I will say the movie made me, um, have a lifelong fear of being in empty hotel hallways. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand in an uh, empty hotel hallway and not think of the, the, the two girls are on the big, you know, the two girls are going to come around the corner, <laughs> the twins or the kid on the big wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nope. It scares me, but yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. You say that. Cause yeah, I'm exposed to the movie first. And then when I was, because it was the eighties and they let us, our parents let us watch whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. And when I'm old enough to read the book, which sounds funny, um, I was like, wow, this is way different, mm-hmm. uh, but still good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Very. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should do a whole episode where I just ask, is this Stephen King movie, a short story or a <laughs> book or a series of books? Cause I'm like. I don't know if The Mist is, if Secret Window is, is The Green Mile, is 1408. And, like, I have all these Stephen King movies because, like, everything Stephen King gets made into a movie. Yeah. Um, Although Revival has not yet, and that's a book I've read. Oh, yeah. And I I want to become a movie so then I can then join in on this conversation, but. You mentioned the Green Mile. Does that do we think that counts? Because I've read the Green Mile, and I've it was good. Mile. It was, but but it's different. It's like these weird little. Uh-huh. You remember they sold them in supermarkets? Mm-hmm. Like at, I remember they were at like the checkout places mm-hmm. next to like the the tabloid rags, and they were just these little. They were little like tiny books. Yeah. Uh, do you think that? Do you think the movie was better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. But the book was good. The book was good. I just the man, movie just made me cry. And we also, yeah, Michael Clark Duncan. He's not around anymore either. Yeah. Ah, man. And that movie. Was I great. didn't know this episode was going to be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cody, you're you're out. You- yeah. Uh, like, I, I can just throw out Stephen King books, but that's it. So, I could go all day on Stephen King, just for the record. I, I do, that's a whole well, other episode. <laughs> we, we can uh, a little bit longer because I would also like to talk about. Um, well, his story, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, which turned into the Shawshank Redemption, the movie. Now, I will say I have never read 
Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, the the story that he actually wrote. But I feel like it can't possibly be as good as the movie. No, it's it's very close. Okay, but it's yeah. Sorry, I keep hitting that. No, no, no. <laughs> so we all hit the mic. The movie is just it's better. Yeah, uh, Morgan Freeman. That's all you need to hear. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I that movie I really I go back and forth all the time but I really think Shawshank Redemption is one of the best movies if not the best movie ever made. I I I have no shame in putting that out there. No. I think it's I think it's great. It's no Citizen Kane. Huh? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, have have you watched Citizen Kane? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's good. Um but does it live up to like the first time storytelling? The first time through, I think it does. You can't rewatch it because the whole loss of youth and innocence and the symbolism, you already know it's coming. And like, again, I'm fascinated with Orson Welles. He's just this larger than life character that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Orson Welles. Orson Welles for much of my life is the voice of Unicron (laughs) on the Transformers, the movie, but yeah, anyways. Um, Okay. Leah, do you have another one on your list? I do. I have a time to kill by John Grisham. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm a little curious about John Grisham. Another guy that was a huge big deal. Like <laughs> it's, it's weird how authors have like, except for Stephen King mm-hmm. who enjoys this like longevity. There are these other authors who have these, like I would call them five to 10 year windows where mm-hmm. they're just super hot and all their books should be made into movies. John Grisham was one I never really got into reading wise. Mm-hmm. And even the movies I'm like, okay, I saw the Pelican brief. <laughs> it had Denzel. I, okay. Right. But I wasn't like super into the movies either. So I'm, I'm curious is, is a time to kill the only one is John Grisham. Are, are his books tend to be better? I struggled with his books. Um, it's not that they're not, they're not Stephen King. They're not. Right. And, and I, I, I get in a rhythm with books. Like I, they have to get me right away. If okay. they don't, I'm done. Or I'll set them down for a while and then I'll come back and I'll try to, you know, get back into it. Mm. So I struggled with his. They're not perfect. No book is, obviously. Right. Um, but I was never really captivated by his characters very well. But the movie was just, oh my goodness, meet Samuel L. Jackson. Time to Kill is, uh, is that the one? Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey is in that one too. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a while since that yes. John Grisham run. Yes. And Sandy Bullock. <laughs> yeah. And Sandra Bullock. Right. Yes. And I, it just, I mean. Is that probably the biggest movie too? Is that the biggest one of, yes. of the Grisham adaptions? For sure. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's, I mean, it's just a very sensitive topic, obviously. Mm. But I just think that courtroom scene at the very end with Matthew McConaughey, I think that. I think that made him stand out as an actor. Yeah. You almost started crying there. Didn't I you? did. I felt it. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Speaking of authors and who had like runs, it n- this pod would not be complete as far as um, 
movies and, and TV being better than the source material. If I did not mention that pretty much anything adapted from Michael Crichton, anything is better on the screen than in his book. Oh yeah. Not, not universally Congo. So bad. (laughs) The movie, um, and the book was a little bit better, but Michael Crichton, I can speak to Jurassic park. I actually did read that one. So yeah, Jurassic park is a great example where the movie needed that Spielbergian kind of, influence to be something like I read the book and I liked it, but it didn't grab me as much as the movie did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like, so Crichton's weird. Crichton does not know how to end stories. I don't think very well. No. The, the very first book of his, I read is the Andromeda strain. We had to read it in high school, which is about a pandemic, but it's from like, you know, it's alien in origin. Um, spoilers. Yeah. But like the yeah. whole book is this like race against time where they're trying to figure out how to find a cure for it. And then in the end, it just becomes inert. Like it just mutates into a form that doesn't affect humans anymore. And that's the end. And you're just like, wait, what? That is a very Michael Crichton-esque ending. Deus Ex Machina, I believe yes. it's called. Uh, where like it just kind of makes the whole point of the story kind of that. And Jurassic Park had sort of an ending like that where... You know, like they get away from the island and you're like, oh, sweet, they're going to live. And then you find out, except for the Costa Rican government is keeping them under, keeping them around under arrest, basically. And you're yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> That's awful. Um, and so, yeah, Michael Crichton, most everything Michael Crichton stuff that's been adapted they have to change it to make it a, an effective movie. And in doing that, they're allowed like Jurassic Park to kind of tell the story in it in a different like lens because it's not like I wouldn't say that the ending of Andromeda strain or Jurassic park, the books ruin them. They're still amazing stories. It's just different. Crichton has got a very like, he, he seems super fatalistic to me. <laughs> he is. Cause, um, I mean, so he wrote a, uh, I believe it was a movie. And now it, it's an HBO series that just got the axe in Westworld. Mm, yeah. And so he wrote that for a film like in the early 70s. And then it gets reimagined and adapted um, for a series, which first season was great. But like there's only so far you can go with it. And then it kind of feels like it's jumped the shark because it's like, okay, this has to like either ruin all civilization or yeah um okay like it has to be killed off there (laughs) while we're talking about adaptions let's just talk about what you just said because jurassic park has the same problem oh yeah this you keep extending the story and it's the same as westworld eventually the attractions get out of the park that's the only way the story can go and i don't think it's really made for that because that's when the story starts to struggle because yeah either they take over the world yeah or it's ridiculous and jurassic world the last one <laughs> oh my goodness it was bad it was so bad yeah it just at, at a certain point it, it doesn't make sense anymore where that's the other thing that's interesting about some of these authors is i don't know that Crichton stories are meant to be turned into um uh, what's the word i'm looking for series or like world building type stuff. It should be a one-off. Yeah. So he helps in writing ER. I was going to say, I knew he was part of ER. Which 
that's a completely different scenario. And when he, I'll tell you what, when Crichton does these more technical books where he like, obviously is a dude that researches and he, he tells these stories that are deeply scientific or in ER's case, a medical science kind of thing. Um, he tends to be better for me. Um, one book he did that I enjoyed that they made a movie on and it was terrible. It was called timeline. You read that? Yeah, it was a time travel one where like they end up back in the mid medieval times. It's like, you know, what if you went to the Renaissance fair, the Renaissance festival, and it was real, and <laughs> you know, you're running away from people who are like literally trying to chop you into bits because, and you know, everyone enjoys the Renaissance festival, but if you really read about the middle ages, you wouldn't enjoy it so much because you'd be like, this is a brutal place. So you're saying turkey legs aren't just being given out? No, no. (laughs) As a matter of fact, a lot of people are starving. (laughs) And we're not making like wax molds of my hands. It's called the dark ages for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The plague is everywhere. But I actually really enjoyed the book. It's one of the few times a Michael Crichton thing is adapted where it's not better. And that is a timeline. The movie was so poor that it didn't get a huge release and almost went straight to video. Not a good sign. No. Um, okay. What, what else we got? Do we, you, you, you go ahead, Leah. Let me pull it up here. I lost my listing. So yes, I will include an honorable mention because this one, I don't think's better, but it's just as good mm. holes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of what it is. <laughs> and uh, Gus from Psych. <laughs> so. I did not know he was in that. I got to, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you that hits me at a weird age. So I'm, I have never seen holes or have any idea about the source material. So the book's really geared towards kids. So <laughs> uh, the book was something we had to read when I was in sixth grade. And then the movie came out and it's like, Hey, I've read this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, it was fun. Both were fun. So if you haven't read holes, I recommend it. Um, if you haven't watched the movie holes, I recommend it. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that was my time filler while Leah pulled back up her list. <laughs> well, I added a new one when I was thinking about it. Okay. Okay. Because it's another Joe Hill, which is, again, Stephen King's son. And it's a TV show on, I believe it's on HBO is where I watched it at. But the book is called Nosferatu. Have you seen it? Ready? No. Heard about uh-uh, it? No. That's okay. like Dracula stuff, though, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Um, but it's basically about this like little girl. Her name's Vic McQueen. And she has this bike and it kind of has like this magical ability. Her and bike does. Her bike does. Okay. Well, it's more like this bridge that if she rides across it, she can find anything she loses. And it, I know it's kind of weird. Um, I'm intrigued. It, it's, it, no, it's really intriguing. You should watch it. And then there's, there is a vampire involved and he takes children and um, there's a lady with magical um, like scrapple pieces in it. And Though the book is phenomenal. I mean, it is phenomenal. The way they bring it, and I'm so glad they decided to do a TV show versus a movie because there's so much that goes on in this book. I think by trying to just do a 
two-hour movie versus several episodes. I mean, it, they did a really good job. I if if you have the chance to watch it or read the book, do it. Um, Zachary Quinto is in it. Yes, Spock. There you go. Um, yeah, that's that's the name. Yes, the more kids he takes, the younger he gets. And so, um, as you were saying that, I thought of one. Okay. Uh, are, are, were we fans of True Blood? Yes, we were fans of True Blood. Okay. Because I actually tried to read one of the novels by Charlene Harris that it was adapted from. Holy cow. That I, This was okay. First of all, um, yeah. This is this is a long time ago, right? These when did these come out as the TV show? Um, I mean, early aughts, right? The TV show even, came out. Yeah. I want to say like in like oh two thousand eight. Yeah, it says two thousand eight. Yeah, and so I actually um, was intrigued by the show and thought, oh, I'll go back and read one of the novels just to see, you know, what I'm what I'm missing here. Oh my, the the Charlene Harris novels are wacky, very wacky. And boy, they go. So I I lose interest in True Blood because they get it's too much. It mm-hmm. gets all HBO y. Well, of course, yes. Everything HBO gets HBO y, and but True Blood gets really HBO. <laughs> it um, does. And uh, but uh, it was it, it started off as just vampires, but you read the book. I mean, it's just everything you can think of. There's vampires and fairies and elves. I mean, it's just all everything supernatural. Well, the legendary. series eventually gets there. Well, right, but that's when I, you know, lost interest. Because, like, toward I don't know what season you discover that um, Sookie is part fairy, and that's why everyone's attracted to Sookie. <laughs> and but that's but like what I'm saying is is when I took one look at that book. And started and tried to read it. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, the TV show is clearly better than the source material." Which is, she had an interesting idea. It's funny how a lot of these, a lot of these shows, they take a writer who comes up with something that's a good idea, like the idea of a world where vampires are integrated in, like they're known, they're a known, you know, you know, people group. I guess, for lack of a better word. And then you, you know, the show, I don't even know that the book does, the books do this very well, but the show did a good job of making them like, you know, they're obviously ostracized as a people group, which anytime you start talking about that, um, there's allegories to be made with human history. And that was super interesting. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it just gets too much because then you lose that whole aspect of the story when you start introducing you know, werewolves, and werewolves, shapeshifters, <laughs> yes, um, fairies. And yeah. yeah. You're just like, okay, you lost me because you had an interesting concept, but yeah. What else we got? Um, Jaws. Okay. I was like today years old when I realized that was a book. I didn't even know that was a book. What Jaws? Yeah. Yeah. I only knew, I only knew because I tried to I, like one of my aunts or uncles had the book back when I was a kid. And I thought, oh, well, the movie does, scares me too much. Maybe I'll try reading the book. And it's weird. Peter Benchley. So Peter Benchley writes the book. And again, maybe it's just a Spielberg thing. Maybe it's just like, well, they be, maybe it's Spielberg that's where the magic's at. Yeah. Because, yeah, the book is just, I don't know. Maybe it's the dude thought he was writing his version of Moby Dick. 
you know, but it's more, you know, more modernized, obviously, and with a giant supernaturalish kind of shark. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm here to tell you that again, Steven Spielberg makes something that is uh, much better than, than the source material, in my opinion. What else we got? That are we are we through your list? No, Leah has a lot more. She just hasn't spoken up. Okay. I had the notebook on there. Okay. I was about to ask you that one. Cause that one's on a lot of lists for being um, better than the source material. Are you, are, I think a lot of Nicholas Sparks books are better movies than they are books. Um, yeah. And so I, you're not, you're not into that. No. And, no. and hear me out why. And I, I think I'm getting a lot of grief for this. Cause I know a lot of people like fall all over themselves for his books. Not me. Um, because I think they're all the same. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I just do. I mean, a lot of people fell all over themselves for like the Maze Runner too. So yeah. what do people know? <laughs> Jabronis. I, just, I feel like it's the same theme in a lot of his books. But I, but the notebook for me, mm. I felt like they did a good job with that. And then yeah. taking it, the ending's different. Um, the chemistry between the two main characters was phenomenal on scene or on in the movie. I just liked it. I thought it was great. Is the girl as awful in the book as she is in the movie? Cause like, she's pretty awful. In yeah. The movie, she's right. Yeah. I mean it, it's been a while and I've only watched it once admittedly. <laughs> I mean, I think I feel like she, maybe she's a little bit worse in the movie. It's been yeah, a while since yeah. I've read the book. I just, it's just better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, that was on my list to ask you this, this list I'm, I'm looking at puts Lord of the Rings and I'm just like, I don't know um, about that. You're fascist. Yeah. I don't know yeah. about that. I don't know how it can be better. It can be good, a good adaption. Um, now my wife's a big fan of the Bridget Jones movies. Those were books. Um, you, have you read those? Uh-uh. No, no. Do you know the princess bride was a book? Yes, I did. I actually did. Um, cause of the talks of, making a sequel or a soft reboot of it in that um, people highlighted that um, you all need to read the book. And I'm like, <laughs> who has time to read? That, <laughs> that's, that's the answer I come to. Um, and you have a couple more rapid fire probably. Yeah. Let's just, let's just rapid fire for you. What you got? Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. And I've never read that. Um, good movie. Great movie. Good book. Great movie. Great movie. I mean. Now, do you like the sequels and everything that came after? Or I is like it Red over, Dragon. Or is it Overkill? Red Dragon is the only one I liked after. Yeah, I liked Red Dragon. I just thought that, I just think that's the best one. There was a time that Ed Norton really couldn't do any wrong. And then like everyone, their mom hated Ed Norton. And I don't know when that shift happened. Yeah, let's discuss this Ed Norton slander because I still like Ed Norton. What's wrong with Ed yeah. Norton? Um, what happened? The but I, I recognize that you're right. Well, he got a reputation for being hard to work with. Yes. And, and the Hulk was kind of part of that. And the Hulk, I think, was the last straw that broke the camel's back. Because like he disappears from the face of God's green earth until Glass Onion. Okay, so he's like the first dude. That is the first indication that the MCU is being run 
Like, so you, we don't, no one knows who Kevin Feige is back then. Yeah. But that's the first indication where, okay, the Marvel movies are going to be a bit different because what happens is, is Norton was trying to take creative control and they basically, I, that was the first indication of like, oh no, the, someone's got a firm hand on the Marvel movies and they shot them down and we're like, well, we'll just recast with someone who's willing to like, you know, do what we tell them to do. Looking at you, Ruffalo. <laughs> Well, he did. I mean, he did. He, Ruffalo's good at being told what to do, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish they'd make a World War Hulk movie, but whatever. Yeah. And I wish they wouldn't have made, you know, his son, Scar, look like, you know, uh, a hippie from the 90s. Yeah, that that was weird. Um, I guess Ed Norton was in Moon Knight Kingdom. He's in some of those, like, indie uh, movies by, is it the... Uh, who does those moon Knight? What are you talking about? Moon Knight kingdom or moonrise kingdom. Moonrise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Moonrise what have I kingdom. missed? Yeah. Did I moonrise missed the moon Knight King- series. No moonrise okay. kingdom. All right. All right. Well, okay. Any more? The last one I had was the girl with the dragon tattoo. And that's another, no, no, no. That, okay. That's not a silence of the lamb thing. That no, is, that's okay. a Daniel Craig. Yeah. Who did the, who did those books? Who was that that wrote those books? Um, she was European, popular right? for. Okay. And, oh. and I actually watched that movie and I was impressed. I didn't, yeah. that was a movie, one of those movies I didn't think I'd like. And then I was like, oh man, that was really good. It was a really good movie. It has, yeah. That, there Rooney was a whole. Mara. Rooney Mara. Yeah. There was a whole series like the, something about stung by bees or whatever. The girl who, the, the girl, I don't know. <laughs> yeah the, the girl does everything yeah the girl who got stung by bees or i don't know um so um within this movie uh there is alexander skarsgård's dad stellan so to make it go back to true blood somehow you're welcome all right let's switch gears let's yes switch before gears. we get, before we get out of here Let's come up with a Mount Rushmore of worst adaptions. Okay. I got I got this. I got this. I mean, the Dark Tower is obligatory, right? Um the movie's phenomenal. Whoa, wait. Uh, when what? you if haven't you, watched this or read, read the, the books, books, it's great. Okay. okay. <laughs> is it though? Um, yes, because you have Idris Elba being Idris Elba. You didn't feel like the story was too compact. Um, like I felt that they made it next to impossible to do a sequel. We're fighting. <laughs> so yeah. we're fighting now, Cody. I disagree vehemently. Granted, uh, I've read some of the material, but man, that was no. That movie I didn't was not say good. it was Citizen Kane by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. <laughs> okay, hit me with one. What you have? Okay, so. This was a movie based off a TV series, which was probably based off books, but I watched TV series and the movie was hot trash. Okay. And that's why they couldn't do a sequel to the movie. I suppose a remake would qualify. Avatar The Last Airbender. So it was kind of done in an anime style. Darn you, M. Night! (laughs) And then M. Night does this movie, makes it a live action movie, and it's hot trash. Oh, like it's so disappointing, so disappointing. Cause like, if you want a good kid show to watch that isn't like necessarily geared towards kids. Yeah. Watch Avatar the last airbender. It's great. 
Yeah, that has such a like cultish following too. Oh yeah, that so to give that sort of that sort of large, you know, fandom to M Night Shyamalan to let him do that with it. <sighs> Woof. Woof. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what else? What else we got? I have one, but it's it's very like I don't know that a lot of people are going to get it because. When this dude was writing books, it was like the late seventies and the end of the eighties. His name was Clive Cussler. You made up someone. No, no, <laughs> I didn't. He wrote. Uh, he's most famous for a book called "Raise the Titanic," um, but all his stories are based around a dude who works for the National Underwater Marine Agency, name of Dirk Pitt, who's oh, sort of yeah. like the uh, marine biologist version of Indiana Jones. And the series are wonderful. And one of my favorite books, one of my favorite Dirk Pitt stories, because I used to, I oh mean, I read, I read these things. I just gobbled them up when I was like in middle school up. Uh, one of my favorite stories was a story called Sahara that dealt with this Confederate uh, boat escaping the Civil War with all these riches and somehow going up an, a long lost river in the Sahara, into the Sahara and becoming lost there. And it's like a legend. And so the whole story is about, you know, then looking for this treasure in Africa that has to do with an old lost uh, Confederate treasure, which, you know, you had me, you had me. It's so bonkers and wild that I'm, I'm just super into it. And then they, you know, said they were going to make a movie. Clive Cussler was involved. They cast Matthew McConaughey as Dirk Pitt. And then I saw the movie. Ouch. So I know people that really love the movie. Listen, I do love it. I still love the movie, but I also understand that it's a shadow of the books, an absolute shadow. They actually continued that series. His son did writing stories and then eventually created a new character because I think people thought, well, you don't write Dirk Pitt the way your dad wrote Dirk Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Stop that. So that would be on my list of, worst attempts at um you know trying to put something on the screen that was just worse than the source material what else what else is on the mount rushmore of worst attempts i'm gonna have to go with the hunger games i was going to say hunger Hunger, games i read the first book i watched the movie like because i read the first book two weeks before the movie came out Holy cow, the movie is awful. Really? Like, so the book, it it focuses a lot on surviving the games. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the survivalist book at times. And there's deep relationships that she builds while in the games. And, oh, like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care that Rue died in the movie. Like it made no sense why I'm caring about this because it's just touched on in the movie. And like, she's not doing all this cool stuff to survive. The games last like forever in the book and like, Oh, it's just instantly over. Literally. They could have had a whole movie before she gets to the games, like building up that backstory, and then her being in the games would have been a great movie. But no, they they compacted it, and it was awful. And then I refused to read the second and third book because I'm like, I'm going to have to watch the movies, and I don't want to have a miserable movie experience. 
It's it's interesting because I've never really heard that. Is that a common belief or is that a common feeling from the book readers, the people that loved the Hunger Games books? I'm, I must be out of the loop on Hunger Games fandom because I know my wife loved the books. I'm, I'll have to ask her what she what her feelings on the movies are. You know they're making another one, right? Yes. You they're making, they're making like a prequel right now. No. What I've learned is that there are people who think the movies are better, and that blew my mind. And I also learned that there is a group of people who were teenagers when the Twilight movies came out, and now as adults appreciate the movies more than the books. And I want the earth to stop spinning so I can get off, because I don't know <laughs> how that's possible when you watch those movies again and could ever think that they are quality movies, when a man looks at his skin sparkling and says, this is the skin of a killer Bella and think that that's quality entertainment. You named my daughter after the Loch Ness monster. Twilight does show up on a lot of lists of worst adaptions. Worst. Worst adaptions. Horrible. Oh, it makes me LOL. What do we think of um, uh, the great Gatsby? With Leonardo DiCaprio. I liked it, but I know it's not as good as the book. Yeah, that's. it seems like you're asking for trouble with the adaption of the classics. I agree 100%. And the, Gatsby, the, the Great Gatsby is problematic in a lot of ways anyways, because, mm-hmm. you know, different times, I know. Yeah. I, I usually don't like to join that camp, but, like, it just is. It feels that way. In the same way, like, I don't know, some people think, um, you know, What's the one we all read about? Uh, they make you read in high school. One to of the great American one of the great American novels. Yes, To Kill a Mockingbird, but that, that's problematic now to, to some people. So is Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not on board with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird though, just because the message is like, oh no, this behavior's bad. Like you need to know it's bad, and that. Um, it takes only one person to make a difference and you got to stand up for your convictions. I, I do love the movie though, but I'm a Gregory Peck fan. I knew that was coming. Um, but I'm not going to say that the movie's better than the book because Harper Lee did a great job and yeah, I know the author of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Look at me go. I actually enjoyed the movie quite a bit, but I enjoyed the book too. What about a clockwork orange? Wow. Okay. Uh, you guys and your Stanley Kubrick movies. Stanley Kubrick's interesting, man, because he yeah. really, in a lot like Spielberg, just in a different kind of way, mm-hmm. he makes it his own. Yeah. So I've never read Clockwork Orange, but. It's hard to read. I mean, you have, it's. That's not shocking. No, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. The movie's hard to watch at times, so. Yeah. Um, I have one more for I, the Mount Rushmore. I do, too. Of worst adaptions. Well, you go ahead, because mine's going to be pretty controversial. Uh, mine's going to be controversial. Oh, yeah. Well, all right, what is it? Okay, so I came in hot, Okay, and I'm leaving Let's hot. Let's do this, because I'm going to come in hot, too. The Outsiders. Oh, interesting. Uh, wait, what? That's is okay. It? So we're oh. like we're going back to the 80s. Yeah, a phenomenal cast. Ralph Macchio. Uh, who else is in that? Matt Dillon? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise in one of his Patrick Swayze. Tom Cruise still had his messed up teeth back then. Um, yes, he did. Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I mean, everyone that is anyone yeah, is in this yeah. movie. See Thomas Howell? And yet, the book's far better than the movie. 
This uh, is another book. This is another. I've, I've read far more than I thought. This is another book I read. I read yeah. this in high school and he's right. He's right. The book's better. Still a good movie, but it, you're right. Um, Matt Dillon also does a really good job in it. I'd be remiss if I did not mention yeah. uh, Dally, as the kids say. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, this this movie, um, I mean, I'll watch it, but no, you shouldn't have made it into a movie. <laughs> you stopped that. We just had this conversation like two weeks ago. I made him watch it. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I, I agree. Wholeheartedly, Cody. Yes, Essie Hinton did a great job writing. Okay, here it is. I'm gonna leave, we're, we're gonna end on this one. Uh, the Mount Rushmore of bad adaptions. Peter Jackson's The Hobbit is trash, and I will fight anyone who disagrees. <laughs> the Hobbit movies are absolutely atrocious. You might have, and I'm going to be polite. Might have been able to make it two movies, maybe. But to stretch it to three was overkill. The delightful thing about The Hobbit compared to The Lord of the Rings is it is a one book story. It's one story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a one off. And the fact that he stretched it into three and threw on all this other stuff and it just turns it into like everything he did right with Lord of the Rings. And, and staying true to the source material and not just staying true to like the, the beats of the story, but to the tone, to the feel of it. The feel is what makes the adaption, his adaption of Lord of the Rings so good because it feels like Lord of the Rings. He obliterates it with The Hobbit. The Hobbit feels like a popcorn summer movie. All of them, they feel like either these summer popcorn flair and there's none of like it just doesn't feel like the Hobbit. The cartoon that came out in the early eighties felt way better. Um, like the actors are big names in it. Yeah. And they're and, not, and they're, they're fine. Yeah. I don't have a problem with anything that they're being, you know, that they do. It's the script. It's the story. It's the, this is junk. Vigo Mortensen had beef with this. Well, because Vigo's a smart dude. And um, he also called out like too much CGI. Like, yep, we could have done things more like you did it in the trilogy featuring me. So, and they they waste he wastes what is one of the cooler um, CGI kind of scenes, and that Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice of the dragon as Smaug. That whole scene's amazing, but it's again. The scene with uh, Bilbo and Smaug is like completely like just transposed from the book. And that scene's amazing. And it makes me so mad that he ruined the rest. (laughs) Like, did I, I did not need Lego loss in this story and much less like rafting and ah, just brutal. So bad. Yeah. Um, That one has to be on the Mount Rushmore of worst adaptions. Just so bad. I know. I know. Some people might be mad at that because they, they, those movies made a lot of money. I mean, there's. I I watch them and I will enjoy it, but it's like I have to block out that there's actually a book because I have read the book and I enjoyed the book. Kind of like you did with the Dark Tower. The fact that the well, second, I didn't read the Dark the, Tower series. <laughs> the fact that the second one ends with Smaug on his way to destroy the town. I think I almost punched someone walking out of the theater. <laughs> I, I was so mad. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You, oh, just ridiculous. Yeah. All right. 
What do you, what do you guys think? What are, what are the best adaptions and the worst adaptions of source material onto the screen? I'm very interested to know a lot of the answers. Also, I'm going to go ahead and ask too. people who've read the hunger games, twilight, those, the, the YA stuff. What do you think of the adaptions? Because those seem to be split. It's, there's an interesting split that goes on there. Yes. And so Tell I'm, us. I'm interested because there, I know that there are um, females that listen to the pod who are right at that age, the perfect kind of age where they were probably coming up reading those stories. So I, I bet there we could have some good uh, discussion going on about these. Mm-hmm. We could. I'm interested to know. Um, as always, make sure and review and uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed. And uh, yeah, all that helps us share us and join in the discussion when we post this episode to our social media. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see next week. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Big pod. Big pod. Full round table. I don't know where I'm sitting. You're going to sit right there, buddy. You got an assigned seat. (laughs) You're special. We'll see you next week.